Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning, church. I know that um, along with a lot of you guys, just when we think that uh, life can't get any heavier or just the grief that we're living in can't get any stronger, it does. And uh, this past week, I know that most of you are aware um, that our Pastor Mike uh, passed away on Friday and um, he left this temporary home and stepped into his reward um, of glory. And I know, man, I know, we're heavy. I've held it together all morning. I'm going to now. Um, but I just want you to know uh, that, that the family is doing amazingly well. They want you to hear from them how thankful they are for the love and the support and the prayers. Uh, this coming week is going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one for all of us this week. Um, we're going to be making an announcement this afternoon on what uh, the plans for the week looks like, but I'm just going to be as honest as I can with you. It's going to be very difficult uh, because of the world that we're living in right now, because of the virus that has taken Mike's life. And we're going to respect the family and their wishes in that. So I just wanted to tell you that. And I also just want to pray uh, just for the family this morning. Lord Jesus, God, today is hard, hard, hard for families, for so many people uh, that might touch their lives. God, for 30 years in this place, in front of this people, God, as a rock of this community, as a faithful servant, God, we honor him today, and we honor the life that Mike lived in front of you, us. And God, we pray for the family today. We lift them up today. God, we give them over into your arms today, and we just ask you bring them comfort and peace, Lord Jesus. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Hey man, you know, I've been battling uh, yesterday, meeting with the family and uh, walking through the arrangements for the week and uh, back over here at the office last night trying to get my mind around all of that and today, and I'm not, I'm not going to lie, all weekend this weekend I battled, God, is this the moment I need to pull back and I need to speak into a different thing? Do I need to take one of those audible calls that sometimes the Holy Spirit just presses into us and says, yeah, go for this. And I mean, I tried my hardest to do it until last night, something hit me that said, you know what, if I turn this morning into a blubbering cry fest and Mike finds out about it, he will kick my tail. Uh, I mean, he'll take me down. I don't know how, I don't know how all that works up there, but maybe could send a little extra mojo from some angel my way. But here's what I figured out last night. I said, you know what, the message that God has already put on my heart it's the message that he preached in front of this church for 30 years. And so we're going to honor him today by walking into what it looks like to live the life of a faithful disciple of Jesus. Or as he would say, an obedient 
a disciple of Jesus. Start a new series today on the 12 disciples. And we're going to look at these 12. The, the official title is the 12 that changed the world. Now, I know when I say that, when I say that changed the world, you're thinking, well, Matt, a lot of things changed the world. I mean, toothpaste changed the world. Toilet paper changed the world. I mean, there's a lot of things that changed the world. But when I say the disciples of Jesus changed the world, they did. They literally turned this world upside down. They laid the tracks of Christianity. They planted the church and they began the movement of the Holy Spirit moving through people's lives from the first century Palestine. And the reality is we are here today because of the faithfulness of these men. Because of what they did. In fact, I read a story not so long ago, and, and it was Gabriel, and it was the angel Gabriel and the angel Michael. It was a fictitious story, so don't take this as the Bible. And, and they were talking to Jesus. Jesus had just re had been resurrected. He had just ascended back to the Father. And the angel Gabriel looked at him and said, Jesus, tell us what it was like. What was it like down there as a human being has a flesh, I mean, on flesh and being one of them. And Jesus talked to them and showed them like, let us see your hands. And he showed them the nail scar. Tell us what pain is and tell us what it was like for the father to turn his back and to become sin. And he told them all that. And then Michael looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, how many of them know you? How many of them love you? And Jesus looked at him and he said, hundreds. And Michael, the angel said, hundreds? He said, yeah, hundreds. And they went, that's not very great, Jesus. Only hundreds? He's, so Michael said, well, what are you going to do about that, Jesus? He goes, I already did. What is it? And Jesus looked at him. He says, there's a plan. And here's the plan. The plan was that the disciples make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make more disciples. And they literally changed the world. And Jesus looked at him and he says this, and they're going to do it until we return. And they're going to keep doing it until we return. And listen, that's what they did, right? That's what the disciples did. If you think about history. These 12 became hundreds, became thousands, became tens of thousands, became millions, and all the way to today, February of right now, right? I mean, we're right on it. We're here because of what happened in this moment. So here's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look into the lives of these disciples, just like we did a couple of weeks ago in looking at the original deacons and what it means to be a servant of Jesus, we're going to look at the lives of the disciples of Jesus. We're going to look at the prototype disciples of what we have been called to do, me and you and everybody on this planet that have been called to be disciple-making disciples. And we're going to pull some incredibly specific truths. We're going to pull some incredibly specific general generality principles of how we are to live our lives. But today, we're going to spend some time looking at the group as a whole. Next week and the weeks following, we're going to take a disciple a week and we're going to pull out a what, who they were. But today, I want us to see this idea of who the disciples were as a whole and how they ended up becoming this group, this band of brothers that changed the world. Now, when you think of the 12 disciples, if you grew up in church, you know that when you thought of the disciples, when they slapped that baby on the flannel board, you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen for the flannel boards of the world? 
When they slapped the Apostle Paul, or the, the, the Apostle Peter, sorry, not Paul, up onto the flannel board, and you saw, you don't know what I'm talking about, flannel boards? Oh, y'all don't know technology. You got smart bars? We had flannel boards, all right? They were better than those. Te the Wi-Fi did not matter back then. You slapped him up, and he stayed there magically. That's how it worked, right? And so when Peter was slapped onto that thing, and you thought about the disciples, you thought about these guys as like Superman. As like the Marvel characters. I mean, like Wolverine. I mean, you want to mess with Peter? He'll grow some claws and he'll take care of some business. And my mind, my sanctified imagination, when I was a kid, I thought that they were basically superheroes. I thought that they swooped into situations. They would heal this guy and feed these people and they save the day. And, and here's the thing. There's, there's part of them that they did that. That's kind of what happened in the end, but there's an incredibly other big part when you really start looking into the life of these guys that I think sometimes that we miss. You see, I think sometimes we miss that one of the primary characteristics of the disciples is that they were incredibly ordinary. They were just incredibly ordinary people. They were just average Joe people off the street. Now, don't let that deter you. I know I just busted some of your bubbles. You mean like you know, they didn't, they didn't like levitate everywhere they went? I mean, they didn't like have like super beams come? No. The disciples were ordinary people. And when you think about this, you can either let that discourage you or here's my hope for us. We can see that they were people just like you, they were people just like me, and they became instruments that Jesus used. In fact, I want you to write this down. Here's the first observation for the morning. I just want you to put in your notes somewhere. I want you to see this. The disciples were ordinary people selected by Jesus, listen to this, to impact the world. Now, I want you to let each one of those sections just sit just for a minute. I know it's three words in the app. You've got to type a little more than normal. But I want you to feel each one of those chunks. They were ordinary people. They were selected by Jesus. They didn't select Jesus. Jesus selected them. And they were sent to impact the world. Now, this is what this means. This means when Jesus chose these disciples, all right, they didn't go begging for this. When Jesus chose these, these disciples, Jesus knew their faults, knew their ways, knew their personalities, knew their backstories, and catch this, he knew the secrets that nobody else knew. Why? Because he was God. He knew. Not only did Jesus know their faults, it means this. It means that when Jesus chose Judas, right? If you ever notice, Judas' name is always last on the list. There's a reason for that. It didn't end up well for him. When Jesus chose Judas, Iscariot, not the other guy that gets the blame, listen, he knew that he was going to deny him. He knew how it was going to end. He knew the sovereign plan of the Lord. He knew how Judas was going to turn his back. And, but listen, he chose them anyway. Now, this is incredibly comforting for me. And let me tell you why. Because listen, at the moment of my salvation, catch this, Jesus chose me knowing my past anyway. Jesus chose me knowing my future faults anyway. Jesus chose me knowing that I was an incredibly messed up, ordinary, little chubby, eight-year-old kid in 19, no, 86. When Jesus called me, he knew every single one of my faults. But catch this, he loved me anyway. 
He loved me anyway. He gave me life anyway. So it's an incredible parallel to see that when Jesus chose these men, it's just a picture of what the gospel looks like. And he chose them out. He set them apart. And now the gospel is resting on the shoulders of these 12 men who had one primary characteristic. They tied them all together. And it was that they were ordinary. They were just ordinary. But Matt, hang on a minute. I can feel it. I feel the tension right now. But Matt, they got to walk with Jesus. Okay, I'll give you that, right? Can't argue with that one. But do you realize if you do the math in scripture, maybe you've done this before, I don't know. If you do the math in scripture, do you realize that these guys only had 18 months with Jesus? If you look at the ministry prior to them becoming apostles, we're going to see this in a minute. And if you look at the mission, the ministry that is post the ascension, after Jesus returns to the Father, when you do the historical picture of what those days look like, it was right at 18. 18 months. That means that Jesus had 18 months to take a group that was incredibly ordinary, incredibly normal, and incredibly just average, and he took them to be guys that changed the world. To which, here's, this, here's what this tells me. This tells me there's some of us that have been walking with Jesus for 50 years, and we've never transferred over into the making a difference. And it's time. You see, they were called. They were called the apostles. And I, and I love the way the Bible talks about them. The Bible uses a couple different words when it describes them. They uses disciples, right? The word disciple is just a fancy word that literally just means a wondering follower. It means a follower that is a wondering learner. It means somebody that almost walks behind a person that, that knows what they're doing and takes note of what is happening. That's what a disciple is. It is a learning, following student. But then sometimes, as, you, as the Bible progresses, it uses this phrase, the 12. This is probably my favorite phrase when we talk about the disciples. I love this language that the writers of the gospels used. It used this word, the 12, or this saying, the 12, because they wanted us to feel just the cohesiveness of the group. The idea that they had this common thread among them, that they were moving in a direction together. And, and it gives us this, that they were this band of brothers that were together, that moved in a direction, that did something together. So the disciples, it uses the 12, and then it uses the word, the apostles. Apostles. Now, we don't have the time to kind of look at the etymology of what that word looks like and, and all that, because I promise you we're, we got a lot. But here's basically, in a nutshell, what it means. The word apostle just means one who is sent to represent another. That's all, that's all it meant. It's an ancient word. It goes way back. The Jews knew exactly what was being talked about when you were an apostle, that you were somebody that was an official representative of, and it carried this notion that you never spoke on behalf of yourself, but you spoke on behalf of the one that you were following. That is what an apostle is. So when we look at the 12, we see that they had all kinds of different personalities and different vocations. They were incredibly different on the political ideas. They were, their religious upbringings were different. I mean, you had one guy over here that was serving Rome and, and probably ripping people off. And you had another guy over here that was a zealot that carried a knife all the time that killed the people that worked for Rome when it was nighttime. So you had all of this going together with different kind of levels of who they were and their personalities. But the one trait, I know I keep coming back to this because I want this to be the kind of nailed in this, this deal that we're talking about here. The one trait that tied them together is that they were ordinary. And I love this. Can I tell you why? Because that's what God is looking for. 
God is looking for people like you, for people like me, that are ordinary. He's looking for us. How do you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you've got a copy of Scripture, I just want you to go there with me just for a minute. In 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a church that is incredibly messed up. They got all kinds of outside problems. They got all kinds of inside problems. They got so much going on. And in the first chapter or in the first kind of paragraph of this letter that he is writing the the Corinthian church, I want you to see what Paul brings them back to when he talks about Jesus, when he talks about their following of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, catch this. I love this. It tells us the people that God's looking to use. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when you were called. Now, pause right there. We'll leave that on the screen because I just want you to know that is an incredibly big discipline for life. If you can continually remember who you were before you were called, you will continually be thankful for what God has done for you. The problem is some of us have been Christians for so long, we forgot what it's like to be lost in need of a savior. It's a great discipline. Remember who you were when you were called. Watch this. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Now what is Paul saying there? He's looking at these people in this Corinthian church and he's going, hey, you need to understand that you had the wrong birth. You're not noble. You weren't born into the caste of the upper class. You weren't born into the system where you were guaranteed to be an influential leader over all people. Paul looks at him and goes, first of all, you were born in the wrong place. But then catch this, verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Amen, right? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things. Paul ratchets it up another level and he looks at these poor people. It's almost like we feel like Paul's breaking them down a little bit, but Paul goes, not only were you born into the wrong class, not only were you born kind of a second class citizen, but number two, he's looking at them and he's saying, hey, you aren't even the definition of what the world says a leader is. You're not even one of the people that gets picked when they're like, hey, we need some leaders. Who do we need? We need some people to lead out in this thing. Who do we need? Paul's looking at him and going, you're not even one of those people. But look, he keeps going. It gets even better or worse, depending on how you're looking at it. Verse 28, God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, watch this, and the things that are not. Now, it's really easy to miss what this means, but here's what it literally means. It literally means that you're so low in the world, you don't even exist to the people that matter. You don't even exist. He takes it to the third level right here. He's like, you're so lowly, you're so mundane, you're so below the the cultural norms. You were born in the wrong place. You're not the picture of what a leader is in the world. You don't even exist in their minds. But watch this. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not. Watch this verse 29. To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why does God do this? Why does God choose the ordinary people? Why? Because what does it do? It puts us in a position to not boast on ourselves, but to boast on the one that gives us the power. 
It puts us in a position to not look at ourselves as a nobly bought person that is up on a pedestal somewhere with all the qualities and all of the assurances of life and having the advancements of life. And Paul looks at him and goes, hey, be glad. Be glad you're second class, ordinary, mundane, under the radar people that are ordinary. Why? Because those are the people that I'm looking for. Look at verse 30. It says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We can sum up this whole paragraph right here by saying this, God doesn't choose the noble and mighty. In fact, his favorite instruments are the ordinary. Why? So we can always know where the power of God comes from. That's why. Maybe you're not feeling this like I am, but do you know what this does for me? This encourages me. This encourages me that I don't have to have my life all together. It encourages me that I don't have to be the smartest, the most intellectual. I don't have to be the best looking, thank goodness. I don't have to be the youngest. I don't have to be the oldest. I don't have to be of noble family. I don't have to be of means for God to use me. In fact, God wants the ordinary so that it is him receive the glory and not me. Receive the glory. When you look at these disciples, I just want you to know Not a single one of them was a rabbi or a priest. Not a single one of them was a high priest. Not a single one of them was on the high religious courts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Not a single one of them was a world leader, ruler, or cultural influence. Not one of them was part of the religious establishment. They were fishermen. They were farmers. They were agriculture workers. And one of them was a tax collector. That is all that they were. Why? Because they were ordinary. Jesus wants us to feel this. Remember, remember back when we could travel? Um, remember that, uh, those days? Um, maybe, maybe some of you have visited like, some of the major cathedrals of the world, maybe in Europe and some of the old, old cathedrals, and you walk into these places, and it's incredible to see like, these stained glass like, murals they have and how the light comes through them. And, I mean, it is. It, it's like breathtaking in some of these places. But, but here, here's what I want you to see. Sometimes when you walk into these places, you'll see like, the one of Jesus, and then there's like, the weird ones that you're like, mm, don't know really, really what that is. Uh, but then every now and then you'll see like, there's six windows on each side of a church, and it'll be, the, it'll be the, the apostles, right? It'll be the apostles. Judas, he never really gets it, so most of the time it's only 11. And you'll, and you'll see... That they're there. And when you see these guys, I mean, they'll have some big hat on and a sepulcher. It's almost like they're floating in air and everybody's bowing down to them. And, and look, I get that. I mean, we do, yes, there's a sense of honor. I mean, they are going to sit on the 12 thrones in heaven and judge. But there's also a sense that there's a shame factor in the fact that we've never seen ourselves as worthy disciples because that's the only view that we have of them. What I just want you to feel today is is that they were ordinary people that Jesus chose. And when Jesus chose them, he was the potter and put his hands around them and he walked with them and he taught them and he walked them through this process and he shaped them. And it wasn't their earthly talents. In fact, they had so many faults. Which leads me to kind of my second observation today. I thought about this this week. And I can promise you this. Satan, number two, Satan is going to attempt to convince you that your shortcomings make you useless to Jesus. L- listen, let me, let me just have like a little heart-to-heart talk with you. 
if you're a believer in Jesus, there's going to come a moment in your life to where there's going to be a battle in your soul to where Satan tries to make you feel useless tries to make you feel unworthy, tries to make you feel not up to par, tries to make you feel second par, tries to make you feel, listen, ordinary. Ordinary. And can I tell you that this morning, as we're looking at these guys, I want you to know that that is an incredible moment for you. Why? Because you are in the company of the apostles. And let me just give you some ammunition to speak back at Satan when he begins to press into your soul. Why don't you just speak back to him and go, you know what, Satan, I am ordinary and I don't deserve it. And I'm basically a nothing, but I am one thing and I've been adopted into the family of Jesus and it is now his power that comes through me. That's what we're seeing in these guys. And I love that. I know I'm the only person in the room that's excited about this, but I love the fact that he can take this guy right here who don't have a lot to offer. I promise you, I am as plain Jane, boring, normal, average, everyday guy that you will ever find. I'm not an exciting person. I'm not. I know that about myself. I'm grumbly a lot of the times. Some of the times I just want people to leave me alone. I'm not, I, I promise you that. But God can use all of us as ordinary people, not because of our talents, not because of our abilities, not because of our earthly political influence. In fact, John MacArthur says it like this. I love it. He puts it in one sentence that I just said in like 45 minutes. That's why he's so good. Listen to this. He says, God chooses the humble, the lowly, the meek, the weak, so that there's never any question about the source of power when their lives change the world. Man, I love this. Why? Because what did Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians? He says, hey, God chooses the foolish. Why? So that I'm not resting on my intellect. Hallelujah. God chooses the weak. Why? So that I'm not resting on my pride. Hallelujah. God chooses the lowly. Why? So that I can't ever boast because people know that surely ain't that person. This is, a great, this is great news. And listen, that's what he did with these disciples. In fact, if you remember, in the book of Acts, we get, a, we get a clearer picture of kind of the late years for these disciples. In the book of Acts, Thomas spoke for me last week when I was in the timeout penalty box, um, but we're all good. And he gave the story of Peter and John healing the, healing the beggar on the road. And then if you fast forward that story a little bit and, and, and you see what Peter stands up in front of the crowd and he begins to speak to the crowd and then he gets in trouble and they end up being in prison because of what uh, they said. And then all of a sudden they call the whole Jewish high court in. And this high court had like 70 plus people on it. It's the same court that actually put Jesus to death. And they look at Peter and John and they say, hey, how did all this happen? And I just want you to see this, what happens right here. And, and I'm going to skip down to verse 13. After Peter kind of looks at him and calls them to repentance, and after he absolutely kind of reams them anew and on the name of Jesus and repenting to Jesus, I want you to see verse Acts verse, chapter 4, verse 13. It says this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now look, I just want you to feel this. I mean, it's one thing for us to look back in history and go, man, these guys are just ordinary guys. We can see that. 
I just want you to see that even while they were living, people looked at them and went, they ain't got nothing to offer. They would never be kicked. They would never be picked even in the top five on the kickball team, right? That's what it's saying. That's all it's bringing up. Even the religious people knew that these incredibly common people were living an uncommon life because they had been touched by Jesus. I mean, the more... The more I study these guys this week and last week and the weeks before, the more I got encouraged. The more I could breathe a little bit easier. Do you know why? Because Jesus was mad at them all the time. Remember Luke chapter 9? About a third of that chapter is Jesus just railing on them <laughs> about something. Jesus being mad at them. He says, hey, listen, you are do I always have to repeat myself? You have incredibly high unbelief. You're unstable in what you're doing. You can't even do what I ask. You're not understanding what's happening. Your pride is in the way. This is all in one chapter in Luke dealing with his disciples. You, I mean, Jesus dealing with the disciples. You are intolerant. You're racially, you're just bigots. You don't even like kids, he says to them. And who doesn't like kids? I mean, he's, he's telling them you don't even like kids. But Jesus takes this group just like he takes me and just like he takes you. And he leads them into a relationship with him that eventually changes the world. That eventually busts hell wide, wide open. Eventually, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that it's on the foundation of the apostles, of the prophets, and with Christ himself being the cornerstone that the church is built. Are you seeing the tension? The world looked at him as lowly. They looked at him as lowly. Jesus was angry at him all the time. But Jesus walks with them and they change the world. Have you ever thought about how it happened? Have you ever thought about how does a ragtag group of people like this move in a direction so strongly that a movement that absolutely 2,000 years later is blowing up the world happens. I want to show you this morning. The backside of this message, I just want to show you the journey that these disciples walk through in, from being ordinary to being called to be extraordinary. Because, and, and here's why I show you. I don't show you for history, all right? I show you because it's the same journey that Jesus wants you to walk on. So I want you to chime into this. If you weren't into the deal in the first part, chime into this because this is the journey that God is calling you and he's calling me to. It's the journey of the disciples. Number one, first step on their journey is that they were introduced to Jesus. They were introduced to Jesus. You say, Matt, what, what does that even mean? That means there was a moment in their life that there's a guy named Jesus popped onto the scene and there was a holy curiosity of what was going on with this guy. Jesus is baptized in Luke chapter three. The Holy Spirit descends on him. He goes into the wilderness, right? He's being tempted. He comes out of the wilderness. And I love it that one of the first places that Jesus goes is the synagogue that he grew up in. He teaches the synagogue. He reads the Isaiah 61 passage saying that he was the Messiah. And the people got so mad at him. The first thing that Jesus ever preached caused them to drag him out of the city up on a hill. And they tried to kill him. He got away. Don't know how. I can just see him just kind of vanishing for a moment and appearing. I don't know how it happened. Neither does anyone else. And then what does he do? He moves to the next town. He goes over to Capernaum. And he preaches in the synagogue again. He moves to another synagogue. But at this synagogue, there were some families at it. 
There were some families that led him to some guys that were just curious about him. Luke chapter 4, verse 38 says this. Jesus left the synagogue. He went, home, he went to the home of Simon. Now, just a little bit of a sneak peek right here. Simon becomes Peter later on. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up at once and began to, began to wait on him. One of the coolest miracles of the whole Bible. Nobody even really knows who Jesus is at this point. They just know that he was preaching over here, saying some cool stuff, and Peter was just like, hey, my mother-in-law's sick, and when your mama-in-law's sick, you better do something about it, right? And so Peter says, hey, come on over here and do something. Jesus bends over and heals this lady, and then she gets up and bakes him some cookies. I mean, that's basically what it says, right? And these, they start to realize, wow, this guy is different. Something's different about this man named Jesus. They're being introduced to this guy named Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the next morning, we find him in Luke chapter 5, sitting at, sitting at Peter's boat. Sitting on the shore. There's so many people around. Jesus jumps on this guy's boat. Look, he just healed his mother-in-law, so you can get in his boat, right? You can do what you want to at this point. Jumps in his boat, and he says, hey, push out. And look at this, Luke 5, verse 2, it says, he saw at the water's edge... There were two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Listen, when we read this, we automatically think, oh, they're already following. They already know Jesus. They already recognize who this guy is. No, they didn't. They had this holy curiosity about him. They had this holy curiosity about this guy that was doing miracles. And he jumped in the boat and he said, hey, I need your help for a minute. And they were just good people. And they'd seen what he had done. They had heard his message and they were curious. Here's my question to you this morning. Are you positioning yourself in a level of curiosity to see who Jesus is? Because that's the first step. To just say, Jesus, I don't really know where I'm at in this journey. But will you show me? But it led to step number two. Not only were they introduced to Jesus, but number two, they were called to a personal relationship with Jesus. They were called to an intimate relationship with Jesus. And it, and it kind of happens in like two little phases. The first phase happens at this story, Luke chapter five. Check it out. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore. They left everything and they followed Jesus. The first mention of them kind of being called into this discipling role of Jesus. Here's my question to you this morning. Have you had a moment in your life that you've moved from just being introduced to who Jesus is, a head knowledge of Jesus, a historical knowledge of Jesus, moved into a knowledge of now, I not only know about Jesus, but I'm following Jesus. That's the difference right here, right? This is the second step on the disciples' journey. If you haven't hit this step, then you're not a believer in Jesus. You're just casually dating. There ain't no commitment. You haven't had a DTR, a determine the relationship yet. I mean, you haven't come to that point where you're like, yeah, you are mine. But is he knocking at your doors or something in your soul, even right now, that's going, you need me? That's what he did right here. But there was kind of a second step that happened. And we see it in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, one of these days, Jesus went to the mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him and watch what he did. He chose the 12. This is the 12 we're talking about. Whom he also designated apostles. 
Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James. It's a bad choice of his first name because he gets a lot of bad press because of Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. Here's what happened. These, all of these disciples, they started following after Jesus. They met Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus realizes that he needs a band of brothers with him to carry the gospel, to become disciple-making disciples. And he calls out the 12 and stamps them and makes them the apostles. How many people did he call them out of? I don't know. I know that it's more than many because many had already left him after he said the hard words in the chapter before. But we're seeing right here this principle of God calls us. Our response is to step into the role of a disciple. But I want you to see step three because I don't know. Some of you have already made those first two steps. Step three is that they were taught the principles of godly living. You see, as they walked with Jesus, what would Jesus do? He would stop. He would teach the multitudes, right? He would give them the message of hope of the gospel and of Jesus. He would teach all of these messages through parables. And then what did Jesus do on the backside of those parables? He would take the 12 aside after them. And what did he do with them? He would go, all right, boys, let's have a little team meeting And let me explain what I was saying right there. He was teaching them the principles. Here's my question to you. Are you putting yourself in a spot where you are hearing the principles, where you're being taught the principles of Jesus? This is what moves us from being ordinary to extraordinary is when God begins to pour his principles inside of us. But then step four, check this one out. They were mentored in living the life of, of a servant of Jesus. They were mentored in living the life of a servant of Jesus. Now, you say, Matt, didn't we just talk about that on being taught? No, and let me just speak to you just pastorally for a minute. I think this is the disconnect of the American church right here. I think that the American church does an incredibly good job of kind of being introduced to Jesus. I think the American church does an incredible job of being invited into a relationship with Jesus and even stepping into that relationship. I think we do a great job of kind of putting ourselves to hear the principles of Jesus a lot. I'll give us that. But I think where the downfall comes is the fact that we struggle in committing ourselves and submitting ourselves into a mentoring relationship with a person or person persons that will spur us on in the gospel personally and that are not afraid to call us out when we're wrong and push us when we need encouragement. You see, I think there's, this is the difference between casually dating the church and moving into a mentoring relationship with Jesus. This is the one right here. This is where Jesus was hard after them. He was constantly one step ahead of them. And when you read the gospels and you read about these 12, you will constantly see Jesus putting them into situations to where they didn't know what they were doing. And they would come back to Jesus and go, Jesus, this didn't work. We couldn't do this. We couldn't heal this. And Jesus would constantly and graciously encourage them and patiently instruct them and he would lovingly correct them and Jesus was forgiving them all the time because they were a messed up group of people. I love Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, Jesus speaks out to them in two different verses and says, don't you get it? Why don't you understand? Luke chapter 24, look at what Jesus says to them. Jesus says to them, he's talking to the disciples, how foolish are you? This is Jesus talking. We don't, we don't think about, we think of Jesus like this mild manner, like, like floats around, you know, is nice to everybody. He looks at his disciples. This is mentoring sometimes, right? 
And he says, how foolish are you? How slow you are to believe the prophets. What is he doing? He's mentoring these people. Let me ask you just a serious, heartfelt question. Who is in your life right now that is one step ahead of you spiritually? I'm not talking about like a cast deal that's pouring into your life personally. I'm not talking about this setting. This setting is great for information, but transformation happens when you're sitting in a circle with a couple people or one person going, hey, I'm struggling. Can you show me how? Who's that person? This is what takes us from ordinary to extraordinary. The disciples, I love this. They were lacking in understanding. They were lacking in faith. They were lacking in humility. They were lack commitment. I mean, Jesus is even rebuking these guys after he raises from the dead about not believing. It gives us this incredible model that we're all messed up, ordinary people. They just need to be on this discipling journey. I want you to see something right here. This is incredibly important. Jesus never gave up on them. And can I just speak to you this morning and tell you this? He never gave up on you. And, catch this, he never will give up on you. Never. Why? Because he wants to see his glory renowned. He wants to see you become a disciple-making disciple. Because here's what happens. Number five, these guys were transformed by the Holy Spirit. You see, these guys had to wait to Pentecost to see this happen. When the Holy Spirit came, Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But listen, we get this. When we give our life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in our life. If the Holy Spirit is not in our life, we're not saved. But then, number six, I want you to see this is the final step of the journey. They were sent to engage in the mission. They were sent. What does this mean? This is, this is the Great Commission, right? Go, therefore, into all the world, making disciples. Go. I want you to feel this weight because what started as come and be my disciples, listen, that's the starting point. Changes for all of us to go and make disciples. That's the completion of the process. So man, I'm not not feeling, let me give you an image. Some of you are image people, right? Check out this slide right here. This is the process we just talked about. We and the disciples, this is what we're called to. Introduce to Jesus. We're placing ourselves in that position. We're called into a relationship with Jesus. When Jesus is knocking on our doors going, you need me. We're taught the godly principles of who Jesus is. We're mentored. People around us are pouring into us. We're transformed every day, every day, more and more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens in our lives is we are absolutely sent to make disciples. And listen, this is for ordinary people. Ordinary If you were extraordinary, I'm really happy for you. This is for us ordinary people. For us ordinary people. You know what this means? There's no excuse for any of us. Here's my question as I close. And that's not even a preacher trick, we're closing. Where are you in the process? Where are you? This is what I want you to do. This next moment we're gonna have of worship. 
I want you to ask yourself, where am I on the process? Maybe today you need to meet the Lord and move from knowing about him to knowing him. Maybe today you need to submit to being taught. Maybe today you need to submit to being in a mentor relationship. Maybe today you're calling on him to transform you by the Holy Spirit. Maybe today you're looking at what it means to be moving in a missional direction. I don't know. Where are you at on the process, number one? Number two, here's the goal. What would it take for this week to you to make one step? I'm not talking about completing the loop, all right? Let's make one step, every single one of us. So you know what happens when we complete this process? We start it over again, and we start it over again, and we start it over again. And you know what it does? It becomes who we are. It becomes how we live. It becomes second nature. And we crave the things of Christ, and we lead others to love it as well. Disciple-making disciples. Lord Jesus, today, in these next moments, Lord, touch us and push us to whatever that next step looks like for us. It's in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing as we're singing. I just want to encourage you on the app, there's a next step button. I'm talking about some steps today. If yours doesn't follow into one of those categories on there, that's fine. We just love as a pastoral team to see what it would look like to take you to the next step this week. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.